Good evening and welcome to Dynamics Update. Today it's an episode about uh, new features in version 10.0.31. So uh, Gustav, how are you doing today? I'm great, Johan. Thanks for asking. So it's a normal episode, right? <laughs> it's one of those normal One of those episodes. normal episodes <laughs> yep. where we just yep. go through all the cool stuff that has been released since last exactly. time, right? Exactly. Not, not someone that we need to talk to. That's, that's <laughs> okay. All right. So... Um, you can start. Yeah, I can I can start. Why? Yes. I've been working for a while now with some discussions about template rollouts. Mm. So what we're basically doing is that we're figuring out the process for building a template so that we can easily copy legal entities. We can build new legal entities from a, a, a master. And uh, something to, to complement that is actually a feature coming in 10.0.31, which is called... Call cross-company data sharing and so so this has been available before but as I understand it it hasn't been available full scale in FNO before so this is something that that they are building out to be able to share tables between between legal entities so so today we have either global tables Hmm. which is one thing and then we have shared tables which is partitioned to be uh, legal entity based. So we have one line for each legal entity for everything that is in the table. This is something in between. So this is basically a shared table, but it it functions from a technical perspective as a a global table. So we basically have one line for each legal entity, but but the legal entities are expecting it to be multiple lines. So they they see it as their own line, but it's basically just the master line that that has to do with all of the companies. Yeah, I haven't seen this in, in play yet, but I suspect it's the similar or at least the same as the the old virtual company where you have a different data area identifier for the virtual table. So you would have like two companies of so 001 and 002. The customer record would have like VFR for virtual record or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would guess. Yep. And what I'm curious, I haven't really. Uh, because I don't work that much with this, but but I'm what I would like to understand here is if it's possible, for instance, to have multiple master data companies. So we can have one for a production company and one for a sales company, for instance. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to look at it either because it's still it's so new. But um, I suspect because there was some benefits, there was also a ton of of like horrible scenarios <laughs> using virtual companies. To say not the least would be like integration and master data. Give me all values in the customer um, from customer table, but not for this specific data area. So a lot of hard coding was used back in the day for this, but. Um, if it is following that, then it's, yeah, you're basically creating a virtual company a name, like VC company, um, and then you attach legal entities to that one. So that would support your, but then you would have to differentiate between table collections, which was the previous name. Um, again, like read through the documentation here, but technically it's like a bunch of tables can be shared by one or more different companies, but you would have to have have to check that it's possible to have separate virtual companies. But if I understand it correctly, yes. Um, you add it to the policy, basically. Um, so you have a, all companies not in that particular policy still have their own like legal entity partition data. Uh, but you could have same set of tables to a different set of companies. One limitation here, 
which is in play still, is that the sharing does not work together with dual write. So that's an important yeah. part. And that's that's understandable because Dataverse doesn't really have this concept. No, exactly. And it's it's uh, and change tracking is not supported for child company tables either. Um, so, I mean, that's, <laughs> there are a number of scenarios here that you need to, to check. If it, but it makes sense in some scenarios, so, um, I would imagine, because for like data return, data storage and data deduplication, of course. Um, but it's pretty clear. I think maybe we could put in the show notes the link or look at the documentation because I think it's pretty clearly um, documented. There's like a matrix when you should decide which scenario and which scenario when you should des- decide on the other one with the replication um, component. So, uh, but it's, uh, it's a nice feature when you need to use it, but be careful. Yep. All right. So uh, your next one. Yeah, I have another. I have one for commerce. Surprise, surprise. My favorite area. But um, this is a nice one, which has I know has been requested for quite a while. It's um, it's a very base feature actually. It's creating purchase orders directly from pools. So I mean, ideally, you have a replenishment scenario where you're coming from a distribution central, perhaps. But there are in many ways always the need to buy stuff from an external vendor directly to the store and in line with the design principle which has been the case for quite a while i think or at least it seems to be uh, where you can put as much back office functionality in the pools as possible you can do the majority of your work from the pos application from um, uh, store commerce so uh, being able to buy something to a specific store from us from an external vendor is a base feature that should have been there for a while but it's there now so um, before this, you could receive an APO, but you could not create it in POS. You had to create it in backend or FNO, and then you could receive it in POS. Now you can create it in POS. Yes. So another one, uh, we talked uh, a while ago about detours in the warehousing application, meaning that that in you could set up rules, which meant that in some cases a warehouse worker will would end up in a situation where they would need to respond to something that is not part of the original uh, way of placing an order. For instance, if, if this um, inventory uh, number is below a certain value, uh, you should validate that we are running out of these and, and just confirm that we have a low... St- low count on them or something like mm. that yeah um, and what happens in this case is that in some cases you can actually have these detours be auto submitted which means that you you can actually say that you need to go through these these and these so for instance if we if we look at the low count thing it can actually push the, the user through the entire workflow of ordering or actually telling someone that we have a low inventory count and yeah. then just submitting the screen. So they don't even have to do anything. It just does it in the warehouse app instead. That's very nice. And it um, enables a lot of scenarios. It was a lot of ton nice features coming from supply this time. I mean, uh, sometimes it's less, but uh, a lot of nice life enhancing features this is one of them right i mean life enhancing because you can get more information easier and it doesn't necessarily uh, make life harder for the for the um uh, the warehouse worker right uh, or at least it's aimed not to be as, as least destructive as possible uh, i have a number of these so we, we can start with one of them 
the uh, location directives is another one, a favorite of mine, where a location directive is something where you can instruct, if you work, um, let's say you work at receiving, right? Uh, you receive goods coming in and then the uh, mobile device tells you where to put it. Um, so there are like a ton of strategies and philosophies here on how to optimize your warehouse. But without going into that, well, a location directive can help you instruct the warehouse worker where to put it. So let's say you work with dangerous goods, you want to store it in a safe area of the warehouse, then you can set up a location directive that instructs you that if item X has this particular tag, uh, you should suggest to the worker to put it there. That's a simple way of using location directives. Um, and when I remember when setting this up, it was um, nice, but it took a lot of testing uh, because you had to like simulate it. Um, what is new in this release is a testing uh, functionality. So you can do acceptance testing uh, like given when then tests to verify that they behave as expected basically uh, some limitations exist but it, again it's a life life enhancing uh, feature to make life easier for uh, us the poor users who have to work with the system so um, uh, I think that was nice a nice um, improving uh, feature okay so you're next I have one if I jump out of the supply for a minute I had um, one finding on um, uh, Dataverse, or you will write uh, one of your favorite subjects, you want. Um, this the, the feature here is row version change tracking for finance and operations um, in Dataverse, so virtual tables, where basically this leverages off Dataverse to trigger change tracking, uh, and then, um, of course, additional integration scenarios from there. So Dataverse is your stepping stone, and then you can enable change tracking in Dataverse and trigger additional integration patterns. That's really cool. It's for data archival, synapse integration, um, a lot of uh, like prerequisites uh, here that you can use for different patterns. But one of the comments or one of the exact quote here is, the goal over time is to unify all existing finance and operations data synchronization frameworks into one that is based on Dataverse synchronization services. And this is, uh, I'm not going to say it's hidden, it's there in clear text, but it's in one of the more technical features. It's a clear like strategy decision here that moving towards Dataverse for data synchronization framework um, is there. We all, we should have known or we should know it based off the convergence discussions and, and all of that ongoing Dataverse topics. Um, but it's never been more clear that you need to understand the technology here and you need to understand the difference and what problem it's trying to solve, right? So uh, if you only want to have change tracking, look into that. But again, look into Dataverse as much as you can on um, leveraging it for data data movement. That would be my, my take. Yes. Uh, and, and if that was a big change, uh, <laughs> I have a one that is probably a really, really small change, but an important one at that. Because uh, one of the main culprits of, of bad performance in AX and FNO and one that Microsoft has actually acknowledged and, and told us for a really, 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 really long time, <laughs> don't use it, is database logging. So if we need it, and if we absolutely must have it, then it's there. So what it basically does it that is that it tracks tables in AX or FNO and tells us in a log exactly what was changed, when it was changed, and by whom it was changed. So <laughs> in some cases, for compliance reasons, we do need this yeah. we need to have a way to be able to track every single change to a table uh, in most cases we don't and unfortunately there are a lot of, of uh, 
uh, over ambitious people who think that we need <laughs> tracking for everything. Never. So, so what we can actually do now is that there is a new met metadata tag on the table telling us that this table can be set up to not be able to set up database logging for it. Yeah. So we can actually disable database logging. We do that from, from Visual Studio by setting a metadata data tag on the table. And the metadata tag is set to no by default. If we set it to yes, then it will not be available to be set to database logging. <laughs> I was just wondering why it wasn't the other way around. Why yeah. weren't all of the database database tables set to yes by default, and yeah. then we would have to enable it for those that we absolutely needed it for. Yeah, I'm going to guess that this is like a ticket-driven decision. So if they do that, they will get a lot of tickets from customers complaining that their logging is no longer working. Um, so, But I, I share your opinion. I mean, I, in all essence, you should not have to rely on database logging. If you can, there are different ways of doing it, of course, and it's a performance um, performance um, thief or culprit but uh, yeah again there are scenarios where it's where it's valid uh, another question would be uh, will there be which standard tables will get this by default uh, from microsoft if any uh, i mean of course transactions uh, makes sense to not allow um, from a performance perspective but uh, is there a list of, of tables or is it like everything is set to no and it's up to you to decide it or will there be a set of tables standard tables where this is set to yes by default and then you would have to override it um. there is actually another metadata change which i also uh, saw and that has to do with security roles so you can actually set the metadata on a security role which says can be deleted from ui yeah i saw that one <laughs> and there we actually have the opposite so yeah, exactly. it is actually uh, set to default as yes and then you can actually, if you have roles, customized roles that you're building, which is extremely important for your process, and you don't absolutely don't want anyone to delete it, you can actually mark it as a system role, and it mm. won't be able to be deleted from, from the UI. So you yeah. will get an error message, this is a system role, you can't delete it. And it's also, I mean, the development part here is interesting to, to speculate about. Um, why? Where is this coming from? Is it coming from a lot of people having like issues where someone accidentally deletes the role or or is it coming from like a yeah it kind of makes sense for us to have like we have this segregated right roles are developed here um tested here and then deployed you should not allow someone to delete them it's um it makes a lot of sense of course to have it but maybe it should be like you can't when would you want to delete some uh, a security role from like a production environment i i i, I have a guess i have a guess <laughs> in that Sometimes the customers really don't do all of the research needed to set up the security model yeah. for their system. So basically, <laughs> users might have more security permissions than they should. Oh, of course, that makes sense. And this, this is this is sort of like a, 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 a last uh, defense, last line of defense for for see important security roles but then you could just remove the role from the use but i think i understand what you mean i think it's something we can speculate about it's there as a nice maybe it's just that we have to have this option to kind of 
delete the role and not make it uh, not allow anyone to have it then you can do that um, uh, unless you have this flag but uh, it seems to be more of like don't accidentally delete my role please <laughs> and i i also think that it might have to do with the fact that that because we've been discussing how to handle how to handle system wide roles microsoft mm. the the pre built built in roles yeah and i mean one one uh, philosophy is to use them because that makes for less of maintenance yeah but the problem is that if microsoft changes them then you will also get the change and you don't really know exactly what the change is True. so this makes it possible for for a customer to build a complete set of new system rules and mark them as system rules and have them be handled in the same way as the rest of the system rules yeah true so yeah it makes sense i mean it, it fits it gives you an option at least it's an it's an option that you can choose to use so i'm all for that flexibility and and um, enabling or disabling that's that's good gives us options um yeah so um i again back to supply i saw a number number of good things one nice thing which we don't talk about that much here and uh, the bi enhancements like the, the dashboards um one new dashboard coming and this releases the um, supply risks um to prevent supply chain disruptions and clearly it's, it's um in line with the time right now with all of the supply chain um disruptions we've been seeing and like shortages etc so what it is it's a dashboard based of, of data it's called supply risk assessments uh, it's material for material managers to better assess supply risks and understand the impact of potential sourcing disruptions that's a quote uh, but it's a bi dashboard that gives you um, delivery tracking uh, on time confirmation um, it gives you uh, kpis for like purchase order lines uh, quantities and percentages of to be able to forecast and see, do I have a potential risk here? And I've seen this at a number of customers with custom delivery tracking um, being the only way. At, at the very least, you should investigate if this is an option for you to kind of get what you need um, as a built-in dashboard. So have a look at the um, supply risk assessment um, dashboard. Yes. So I don't have that many more. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I could probably go all night here for all the supply chain, <laughs> but uh, if I have to choose one additional one, it would have to be um, uh, a feature enhancement again coming for supply chain. And that's on the master planning um, area, which has been like a nightmare area for many from a performance perspective. I know it's been through a lot of changes, so it's really cool now. Uh, but but this is the feature is basically to be able to restart and resume logic for the forecast generation batch process. And and this is just a classic, if it breaks down, it's no fun to have to restart it because it might be a very long running process. So this feature just enables it to pick up, pick up the bundles, I would suspect. Um, and it, it's interesting because the the um, uh, quote from, from Learn here is um, th that it enables it to be restarted after an infrastructure failure occurs. Uh, of course, for the on-prem, that makes sense. And, and um, it's just nice, refreshing to see that, okay, we know things might go down here, um, so let's try to build in some some resume functionality for when it might well, for when it does. Uh, more of that. I think things happen in all environments, even though it's cloud. It's it's still stuff that can break, and of course it might be driven from on prem. But um, it's a nice feature that might save a lot of um, morning hours for people relying on the forecast generation to be done. 
Yes. Okay, so this was a bit shorter episode than usual, but uh, I think with that we say thank you for tonight and we'll uh, see you the next in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.